Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. Right now, my responsibility is to turn your attention to the Word of God, because that's why we're here. We're here to listen to the Word of God and the interpretation of the Word of God. And that means that I have the role as the prophet in the pulpit, to, to, as the chief prophet of this church to bring the Word of God to you. At a certain time in Israel's history, the historical people of God, Elijah was the prophet. At other times, it was Moses the prophet. At other times, it was Elisha the prophet, Isaiah the prophet, Amos the prophet. Right now, in this context, right here, it happens to be me, and I am offering this voice to you as a prophetic word from God's own Scripture. But that doesn't mean that you don't have a part to play. You do. So, would you stand with me? And let's engage this process because you are an active part of this preaching. Not just active in worship, but active in listening and in responding to God's word. Let's say this together. God, I choose to slow my breath and relinquish my worries. I open my hands to pray. Come, Holy Spirit, to my mind. I receive your comfort. Come, Holy Spirit, to my heart. I receive your peace. Come, Holy Spirit, to my soul. I receive the Father's love for me. I am here to receive what you have for me today. And let's affirm together, what's the secret? No doubt. You can be seated. I want to walk you through our memory verse for the year. And this is critical, particularly the last part of this memory verse, because it relates directly to some of what we're going to be talking about today with regard to Elijah. So let's say this together. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Now, although Elijah did not have the opportunity to live in, the, in an age or an era where he could rely on the image or the ministry of Christ, we recognize that Elijah embodies much of the values that Christ taught, particularly fidelity to the worship and allegiance to Jehovah God. And so to understand this more fully, I'm encouraging you to read as we go through this next week or so, like I started last week, I hope you're reading 1 Kings and 2 Kings, especially focusing in on 17 through 19 of 1 Kings that relate to Elijah, and that you will move along with me in this process, being a participant in wanting to know more about the Word of God, which is to say prophecy prophet, the Word of God. This is His speech to you, and this is what the word prophecy means. God's Word 
given to God's people. Elijah is a great example of this very thing. However, there are some critical things we need to know about what it means when you step up into responsibility for being prophetic with regard to your faith. Now, let's read in 1 Corinthians 6. Let's read it. You don't have to read it with me, but I want to read it for you because it sets the tone of what it means to operate and I'm meaning everybody here, I'm talking about everybody that's a follower of Jesus, to operate in this sense of being prophetic. It requires some things. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? Now, he's talking about intimate, invested relationships. He's talking about uh, relationships of emotion, even relationships of finance and engagement and heavy, deep investment in relationship. It's one thing to have unchurched or non-Christian people for friends or to serve on a community board together or something along those lines. It's a very, very different thing to become deep and intimate friends with someone who is opposed to Jehovah. It's something very different to enter into a romantic relationship with someone who is opposed to Christ. It is a different thing to be friendly with your neighbors and engaged in your community associations and things along those lines, even to run for office. Another thing to be intensely invested, even business-wise, financially, and all of that, in a relationship of intimacy where it's competing with love of God. And so, Paul is making that call to the cultural, those, those cultural Christians in that day of Corinth where they are wondering how do we engage the culture, how do we adopt or posture ourselves, fit into the culture, how do we live in the world but not of the world. This is a very important passage going on. But that is exactly what we are. Each of us is a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way, I'll live in them, move into them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. That is so critical. Leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good. God says. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. In the book of Exodus, God tells us not to worship any other gods. He tells us that if you do, he would be very upset because he is a jealous God. Again, this is about deeply investing and in giving yourself, opening yourself up to the powerful influences that may be anti-Christ. And this would be the sin of syncretism. I've talked to you about this before in a couple of different ways, but I need to bring it up here because it is the context in which Elijah is called. Elijah is raised up in a culture that is syncretizing to that which is anti-Jehovah God, anti-God of the Bible, and in a future sense, anti-Christ. The sin of syncretism. Let's define that word. 
Syncretism, the attempted reconciliation or union of incongruent or different worldviews, principles, and or practices. It's kind of like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. It's the idea of attempting to put together incongruent things. Attempting to, to open ourselves, to negotiate, to compromise, to collaborate with corruption, if you will, in a way where we become like it and it becomes like us and all of a sudden you can't tell us from the corruption. Our character is now the character of the culture. This is a dangerous place to be. This is a sin. And that's why even now I step up in before you and I say, we live in this world. And I have relationship and you have relationship with lots of folks in our culture, in the business world, in the little league world, in the, in the uh, cultural world, the arts world, the political world. That's not the problem. The problem is when we begin to compromise and, and invite the anti-Christ values and principles into our world where we are looking like the world rather than the world looking more like Christ. This is the danger. Syncretism in Israel. Let's think about how Israel in its history, the fall, the golden calf, the desire for a human king, Baal, the fall, Satan coming to Adam and Eve and saying, hey, why don't you just adopt your own ideas? And next thing you know, the culture, the satanic culture of that moment is inviting Adam and Eve to abandon their love of God and love themselves as king more than they love God as king. And they syncretized with Satan. In this way, the golden calf, Moses is up on Mount Sinai and he's getting the word of God, the prophecy of God. And the people are down below and they're like, hey, well, you know, we got all this, uh, we, we're here alone. Moses is up there, we're down here. All these other people around us, they have their own gods. We ought to make it our own God. We'll, we'll create a golden calf. We'll worship it because we can see it. When Moses comes down, hey, we'll worship that God too. It's okay. And then all of a sudden it all amalgamated together and the people of God became just like the people of the world and Moses came down and had a hissy fit, and so did God. The desire for a human king, we talked about this last week, when the people of Israel, the quote, people of God, wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted to have a king like everybody else had a king. Hey, they've got this guy over there. His name is Pharaoh, or his name is Hammurabi, or whatever. We want a king like they've got kings. We want to be just like them. And what happened was, God finally relented and said, okay, I'll give you what you want. And now you're going to get what you're going to get. <laughs> and so by syncretizing to the world, we want to be like everybody else. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We want everyone else to feel like we're a part. We really want to be a part. We want to be like them and them like us. But what happened was we compromised us and became like them. And this is a great danger in our modern day time. We think of Baal, and uh, as you read in 1 Kings 17 through 19, you'll read that Elijah actually got in a fight with their God and said, you bring all your priests together, you bring your gang of all your Baal prophets, and I'll show up myself, and I'm, me and my God will whip your God. And that's exactly what happened. They got together on Mount Carmel, 
And Elijah and his God whipped the prophets of Baal and Baal. The, the, the children of Israel, the people of God, had given up worshiping the one true God for false gods and false idols. How often do we give up our fidelity to our God in order to have the things of the world? In the very same way, the Bible postures worship of Baal like worship of material things, worship of power, worship of greed, worship of, of popularity. Whatever God you're calling it, it's a Baal. This is syncretism in Israel, but what about syncretism in us? I love this quote from Dallas Willard. Satan never comes to us with a stick. He always comes to us with an idea. Satan is not going to come to you with, a, with a, a billy club and beat you into submission to do what he wants. He's always going to come to you with an idea. But what really does that mean? Ideas like this. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat that from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging, ranging all the way from good to evil. See, he didn't come to Eve or Adam with, with intimidation. He came to them with an idea. And it's how he comes to you as well. We look at Jesus when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted. What did, what did, did he come with a gun? Did he hold a gun to Jesus' head? No, he came with an idea. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. You're hungry. Why would you need to be hungry? God wants you to be satisfied. Now, just turn these stones into bread and eat, drink, and be merry. It's an idea. If you are the Son of God, jump off. He had taken him to a cliff and he said, jump off. Everyone will see you jump and then you won't die. The angels will protect you and they will see that you can become very, very popular. I will give it all to you, he said. He took him to a high place, showed him all the area, all the kingdoms of the world and said, I'll give you all of it if you will kneel down and worship me. You see, he didn't come with all kinds of physical, intimidating pressure. He just simply came with ideas. What ideas does Satan come to you with? What about this? No one will know if I watch this porn. It's not hurting anyone. It's just innocent flirting at work, in the break room, on the job, in the field. I don't mean anything by it. So Satan dropping little thoughts, encouraging you to think in certain ways, wondering about who you are, what you want, what you like, why you're not getting what you want, giving you ideas, placing them in your mind. What, what? It's just an idea. This marriage didn't turn out like I expected. And God wants me to be happy. So getting out of this marriage is the right thing to do. God understands. Do you hear that? You will not die. You don't have to be under God's thumb as king. You can be kings yourselves. You will become like God. You don't have to worry about those marriage vows you made. Come on. God wants you to be happy. You're not happy. Get happy. Sounds plausible. Sounds reasonable. This is syncretism. Church is in a building. 
So doing church online is just as good as doing church in person. Hello, cyberspace congregation. I'm not, I'm not judging or condemning. I'm just saying there's a better way. I'm just saying that we can become so complacent in our convenience and comfort that we fail to recognize the power of in-person community. And I'm challenging you to be careful of the ideas that Satan will simply put out there for you. Well, Steve's leaving HCC. I will too. When people might say that to you, I want you to challenge them to say, well, what does that mean? Why, why would you do that? We're, we're committed in covenantal bond. We're, we're not in covenant with Steve. We're in covenant with God and His church and each other. And just because he's leaving doesn't mean I have to leave. I'm going to lock in even more. I'm going to lock in for a year. I'm going to make sure that I am engaged in this community. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to become a consumer Christian just because Steve needs to follow another life path. I'm not here for Steve. I'm here for God and for my brothers and sisters in Christ at Heritage. That's why I'm here. Syncretism. Satan never comes to us with a stick. He always comes with an idea. This is why we need each other for accountability. So that we will retain a sense of accountability. Deuteronomy 13.6 Suppose someone secretly entices you, which is an idea. Even your brother, your son, or your daughter, your beloved wife, or your closest friend, and say, let's go worship other gods and remember that when you're reading the scripture, particularly the Old Testament, when it says God's lowercase g, that means anything you might worship, even pleasure. Put that here. They invite you to go off and worship, other, worship your own pleasure, your own convenience, your own comfort, your own security, your own prosperity, your own prominence, your own popularity. All of it. Put anything you want here because you can relegate this. Oh, well, that's, that's weird. You know, that's about people who are going to go off and worship like cows or snakes or something like that. Nobody's asking me to do that. But they may ask you to abandon attending church regularly. They may ask you to go off and worship greed or convenience or recreation rather than holiness and fidelity to God's word and kingdom. They may ask you to do that. He's saying, you may have the family doing that, putting pressure on you. You may have friends putting pressure on you. You may have your own culture, the TV, all of social media putting pressure on you. He's saying, be careful. Someone secretly entices you. An idea. But again, they might suggest an idea that you worship the gods of peoples who live, in, live nearby or who come from the ends of the earth, but do not give in or listen, have no pity, and do not spare or protect them. You must put them to death. Can you imagine that? Someone saying to you, dude, it's just Little League, man. Come on, church can wait. Get involved in Little League, and you, know, you can go to church after the season's over. I'm sorry, I have to put you to death. <laughs> you got a spouse who says, let's buy a camper and we'll be going. We'll just watch online. It's okay. Sorry, I have to put you to death. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I know that's extreme. I'm, I'm making this a little bit more extreme, but, but man, is this extreme. The idea is syncretism. The idea is that are you going to get caught up in the cultural sense where we're not as faithful and in, 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 with our integrity compromised, and the next thing you know, we've lost lots of traction in our faith. This is dangerous. This is the world in which Elijah was, was called into. Syncretism, to try to reconcile or bring into union incongruent different religious principles or practices is like mixing oil and water. You know about that, mixing oil and water, or water and vinegar. Think about these examples. Italian dressing. That's like us trying to syncretize oil and vinegar. It's just, it's just an example. Italian dressing is one of those physical... Tex-Mex. Texas and Mexico. Bringing it together in fusion. None of these things are bad things. They're just examples of syncretism in the cultural shabby chic. What is that? That's like... I can't even reconcile that. Business casual. We're going to be very professional, but yet really casual. What, what is that? This is the way in which we try to somehow put things together that are pretty incongruent. We're looking at immigration. We want to immigrate, but yet when we immigrate, we want to retain our culture. Second, third, fourth generation of immigrants often lose all their culture in which they came to. It's just over time, it just happens because you syncretize. You give up, you lose traction, you forget so many things. Cultural syncretism, religious syncretism, new age, a blending of Buddhism and Christianity and Islam and, and Hinduism all together, Unitarianism, same thing, Chrislam, trying to take Christianity and Islam because they're so related, they're, they have such an original beginning, beginning with Abraham and, and, and Ishmael and Isaac, and we should reconcile those together, and it's just the same religion anyway. Scientology, we're going to get the facts of science and reconcile it, put it together with Christianity, and if Christianity doesn't match the science, then we'll change Christianity to match the science and trying to fit things together. Christian conformity. Hey, I know the Bible says this, but they can't really mean that because, you know, we're in a modern day. We need to step up, come up with the times. These are all ideas that lead us to syncretism. Elijah stepped into his culture with his, with, with his all going on, with Israel fading, sliding into syncretism, where they were becoming just like everybody around them. They had lost track of God. You may have people in your life right now that feel like they're fading from the faith landscape. You may yourself be tempted to drop into a sense of soul sloth where it really doesn't matter anymore. Why do I worry about this so much? I'm sure God's fine with any of it. I'm going to make up my own religion. This is all the, the society and culture that Elijah stepped up into, was called up into, and first he needed to clarify the vision. What is the vision? The vision is that you will have no other gods before me. There are no other gods. I am the only, the one and only God. It will be me and you will love me alone. He had to clarify the vision. And then he had to have the courage to step up and correct. The courage to correct. In order to do these things, to clarify the vision, having the courage to correct, it was the conservation of orthodoxy to recognize there are some things that we will not give ground over. 
I'm not talking about things like, do you, do you have an electric guitar or a pipe organ in worship? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about whether you have pews or chairs, whether you wear a tie or don't wear a tie. Those are such peripheral things, they mean nothing. They are pizza-topping preferences related to worship. What are the core things? What are the foundational things of faith? It is orthodoxy. So a clarity of vision, a courage to correct, conserves orthodoxy. And then you commission others. You raise up others to do the same thing. That's what Elijah did. Church and culture, listen to this passage and tell me if it doesn't ring true today. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It happened in Elijah's time, it happened in Timothy's time, and we're in danger of it happening in our time every single day. What are, you, are you going to clarify your vision? Are you going to have the courage to correct, to conserve orthodoxy, and commission others to do the same? Are you going to do that? 1 Corinthians 14.39, so my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Who's he talking to? He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Every Christian in every church, clarify the vision. Have the courage to correct. Conserve orthodoxy. Commission others to get involved, to step up, to stand out, to say what's right, to declare what's wrong, and to live in that way. You are a prophet because you are a person just like Elijah. What? Me? What? Not me. I mean, I'm not a preacher. Maybe not, but you are a prophet. Every Christian who has the Spirit of Christ living within them is a prophet. You've got to find your voice. You've got to find your voice. We all have a prophetic responsibility. For instance, what about the issue of abortion? Choice or life? I love this story. I was at um, lunch with a friend recently, and he was telling me the story of his granddaughter. And the story of his granddaughter goes that she started attending a state college as a freshman. And as a freshman, she was involved in lots of common area conversation. And as young people like to do, they like to pontificate like they know everything, right? So they were all pontificating about this idea of choice, and that choice is the only real idea, that women ought to have a choice. They're, you know, women should be able to choose whether they want the kid or not want the kid, and they should have free choice, and no one should be pinging on their choice, and all those kinds of things, and all this other, any other idea is silly, it's just ridiculous, they, everybody needs to adopt their opinion, and everyone was in consensus in the room, and this young lady was sitting there and hadn't said a word, it was kind of minding her own business, and, but, but everyone knew that she was a Christian, everyone knew that she was a conservative evangelical Christian, and they finally called her out and said, hey! What do you think? And, and she said, well, I'm pro-choice. What? You're not pro-choice. You can't be pro-choice. You're a conservative evangelical Christian. You can't be pro-choice. No, you got to be kidding me. You're lying. You're just trying to fit in. All this kind of pressure came. I said, no, no. I'm pro-choice. I, I believe everyone has a choice as to whether or not they're going to have sex or not. And if they choose to have sex, they choose to be pro-life. <laughs> Everybody just got quiet. What? Yeah, you have the choice to have sex. 
That's your, that's your choice. But if you choose, know that conception is life. And when that happens, you've chosen sex, so you're pro-life. HCC, I love that idea. HCC is pro-choice when it comes to life. If you choose to have sex, you are choosing to be responsible for life. We are doggedly pro-life, but we do believe you have a choice in whether or not you have sex or not. But if you choose to, be sure we believe life begins at conception, and therefore, you're choosing life. What about marriage? These are vows that I took with my wife. Will you, Steve, take Ladon to be your wedded wife? Will you promise before God and these friends to be your faithful husband, to share with her in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health? And what about anything you want to put in there? What do you want to put in there? What would you write in if you could make your own? Recently, I married, uh, I, I was able to conduct the wedding of Floyd and uh, Billy Joe. And, and in our rehearsal, I invited them. I said, you want to throw anything else in there? like in vacuuming and dusting or anything along those lines or changing tires, oil, anything like that. You know, uh, in sickness and in health, in thinness and in good hair. How about that? How about in, uh, in, in, in good cooking and in grass cutting? These expectations we have, these ideas, these expectations we have. What about... Infertility or infertility? What about in career success or lack of career success? In depression or no depression? What do you want to put in here? Anything? Because these vows are about everything. Marriage in a Christian sense is about everything. That it doesn't matter. We're saying I'm committing to you. I'm covenanting to you. It doesn't matter what happens in our life going forward. I'm for you. I'm with you. But the world would say, don't do that. Be happy. If you're not happy, get out. And when Christians start to buy that, they're syncretizing to the world. They're syncretizing to the culture. Parents, I just had Cheyenne and Derek up here a few uh, a week or so ago and, and we talked about these vows that parents make to dedicate themselves. We vow not to tolerate any behavior or influence from without or within contrary to the Christian life, even the Disney Channel. Even Uncle Joe, who might be a nefarious influence in my family's life. You will not tolerate any behavior or influence from without or within contrary to the Christian life. This is what it means to find your prophetic voice in your marriage. It means to find your prophetic voice in your parenting, to tell your kids, yes, we're taking the phones away at dinner. Period. Yes, we're putting parental filters on the TV and the internet. But none of my friends are your terrible parents. Oh my goodness, Christian parents, find your prophetic voice. Find your prophetic voice. 
Wives, if you've got husbands that are flaking and abandoning their call to be spiritual leaders in your home, wives, find your prophetic voice and speak into your, child, your husband's life. Husbands, if you find your wives that are flaking out and dissolving in their fidelity to church and Christ and their commitment to Christ, prophetically speak into their lives. You have a call and a responsibility to do so. Grandparents, speak prophetically into the lives of your children. Call them to account and to fidelity and faithfulness. Find your prophetic voice. This is a little quote that I had growing up. Told all my kids, my kids learn this. Know the difference between right and wrong and have the courage to do right. Because it takes courage to do right. You can know the difference, but that doesn't make, mean much if you don't have the courage to do right. When my son became of age and we could no longer control him, he decided to get a tattoo. And this is what he got. I said, hey, I like it. <laughs> Because it's me. <laughs> and he had my wife write it out in her handwriting, my words, her handwriting, and he got it tattooed on his arm. Great. Now every time I can see you, I can just smack you on the arm and say, yeah, what I said. <laughs> oh my goodness, where are the Elijahs today? Where are the Elijahs? Are you an Elijah? Are you a human who follows Christ? James said that Elijah was a human just like you're a human. And he calls you to pray like Elijah. He also calls you to prophesy like Elijah, to stand up in your context. Do you trust God? Then stand up at your workplace and call evil, evil. Do you care enough about the fidelity to God to stand up in your marriage and call out wrong where wrong is? Or are you too afraid and too scared of the prophets of Baal? Step up in your schools. Step up in your communities. Not to be arrogant, bombastic people judging everyone, but to be faithful and honest and congruent with the character of Christ to stand up and be the prophet that God calls you to be. Where are the Elijahs? Yes, Elijah was a human as we are. So, live like Elijah. Be the prophet in your context. Do not flinch and let God sort out all the details. You say, well, how can I really do that? I'm not really good. I'm not, I don't like conflict. I'm not a confrontational person. Okay, do you believe this? Do you believe this? You can be the prophet through Christ who gives you strength. You can do all things. You can do all this through Christ who gives you strength. Not only, not only be, to be content, but also to be prophetic. So, if you want to get into this more deeply, this coming Wednesday, 7 o'clock, I'm here at Midweek Oasis. We get into it deeper. We have conversation. We ask questions. We debate. We push back. It's a really great time of engagement if you want to get into this more deeply, but right now, would you stand with me? We're going to take time at the moment to invite you to repentance. Why? Do, do I think you're going to hell? No. 
but do I think you might be living in a way that could be off base from where God is? Yes. Do I think it's possible that you might be developing attitudes that are more in, more in, in coordination with the world than Christ? Yes. Do I think that you may have fallen into the trap of being led astray in some ways to greed or to conformity to the world or to commerce or to consumerism? Yes. We're all in danger of that every day. And every day we're in need of repentance and calling ourselves back to the character of Christ consistently. Today is one of those days. Husbands, are you living untethered from your vows Time to repent. Spouses, wives, are you living untethered to your vows? Are you working it out on some sort of chat somewhere with somebody, some old flame or something? Are you flirting? You think it's no big deal? You're going 90 miles an hour down a dead-end street. You are. And I'm calling you today. I am exhibiting to you today what you are called by God to do, and that is to stand up, step out, and be the prophet just like Elijah. So right now, right here, maybe you just don't have any of those character things going on, but right now you want to pray that God will raise you up as a prophet in the context where you are to be his prophet in your personal world.